Welcome to Talk Purpose and Truth, shifting you into higher consciousness, a show that elevates, uplifts, and encourages listeners to grow, heal, awaken, and evolve. Eden and Kim include bold topics, interviews with inspiring guests, experts, and celebrities, intuitive readings, channeled messages, mental health awareness, and hot topics to expand your awareness. Tune in for unprecedented truth, authenticity, on-purpose discussions, and magical moments. Hey, everybody. It's Talk, Purpose, and Truth podcast. It's Kim and Eden. Hi, Eden. Hi. Hi, Kim. It's been a while, hasn't it? It feels like it's been like decades (laughs) since we've done this. (laughs) Well, yeah. we always tell everyone that we record three or four at a time. And so we haven't recorded in a while, but yeah. people have actually heard us every week. Um, yeah. But yeah, excited to be recording tonight. And this is happy summer to most people where it isn't cold. So we'll be talking a little bit about what we've been up to on the next episode. But because we have this very special guest that we're excited to interview, we're going to jump right in. So I'm going to introduce her, Karen Daffy Duff, from becoming an iconic MTV VJ to starring in Dumb and Dumber to being diagnosed with a life-threatening disease. Karen Duffy has been through a lot, but it was only when she became a mother that she realized she had some pretty solid life lessons to pass down. In her new book, I have it here for those on YouTube, (laughs) In her new book, she offers advice on building a friend group that is weasel free, finding the love of your life and determining how much to tip the waiter as with everything be generous with dry humor and maternal warmth. She shows how we can all learn from unexpected philosophers, even from Bulgarian dancing bears. There are times in life when we turn to the wisdom of great thinkers, and there are times when you need the kind of enlightenment that only a former Coney Island mermaid queen can give. Her newest book, Wise Up, offers wise cracks and some profound insights in a unique book of parental inspiration. And much, much more than this, she's up to so much and she has so much wisdom to share. And I had a great conversation with her already. So I can't wait for you all to jump in, take some notes, hear more and be inspired. So welcome, Duff. Hey, thank you, beautiful people. Thank you so much for having me on this evening. Hearing her voice, hearing your voice, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just picture MT. You're you on Me MTV, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I close my eyes, I can hear it, or I can <laughs> see it. I could see it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I was obsessed with MTV. I watched it like I I started watching MTV when I was like eight years old, and so I watched it like as my main channel. So I saw you all the time. So it's so cool to have you here. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, it's interesting, um, Kim and Eden, that um, when I uh, graduated and have my degree as a recreational therapist and then went and got my postgrad degree and I would went back to working at the nursing home that I started volunteering at when I was 12. So I've been volunteering at the, the same nursing home uh, for my whole life. And Aww. when I graduated um, the nursing home hired me as a rec therapist and I was working with the elderly who had, uh, many, many memory issues, um, such as dementia and Alzheimer's. And I realized that I had the skill set to attract the attention of people who were 
losing their attention span, moving mm-hmm. my body, moving um, my hands, modulating my voice, having very clear elocution. And then I realized, you know, MTV is shortening everyone's attention span. I should just give it a go. So I made a cheese ball $3 videotape and sent it in unsolicited. I think on a Friday, the next week I screen tested and then I was hosting primetime and I had never been in front of a camera before. And I think the skill set that I learned as a recreational therapist about focusing on your strengths, not uh, focusing on your abilities rather than what you don't have, but also the confidence that I knew that I was a really good recreational therapist. And that meant the world to me. Mm -hmm. And so I just took MTV as a lark and um, I kind of figured I'll just do it till they kick me out. And I wound up spending a long time there. It was kind of, <laughs> I, there's a clock ticking. You age out pretty quickly. But um, yeah, it was great fun. And I really squeezed as much as I could out of every opportunity, which was, you know, it was great fun. Well, so cool. amazing. And you answered my question, my first question, which was, how did you get there? And you just kind of gave us the history. One thing I know is that you also, kept your volunteer job mm-hmm. at the uh with the with the um memory care center um mm-hmm. and while you were doing vj with yes. mtv i felt like i truly it was my happy place and i worked there until the nursing home closed down and then i found other ways to be of service and i always think it's a mistake to do nothing just because you can only do a little. Yeah. 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 That, that is. <laughs> That's the big one because I think that, you know, we, and we say that, you know, when we've, when we've talked about helping one of the nonprofits we work with is volunteer network OC and we'll say, you know what, even if you only have an hour, you know, cause a lot of people will go, I'm just no time. And it's like, mm-hmm. you could do an hour a month, you know, if that's your yeah. minimum or you can make time and do five hours a week. Yeah. So totally. It's true. It's really about showing up and you're showing up for yourself, but really showing up for others. And again, a kindness to another is a kindness to yourself. So it's a part of like one of the issues that I have with like, I have friends who are going through a hard time. And I was like, you know, if you just focus um, not to discount their grief and their issues. But I was like, if you just went and went to the shelter and walked a dog, you know, you don't have to commit, um, you know, for a lifetime, but again, like two hours a month is really, it can really, those two hours will be two hours that you will think about all year. So I think it's Mm -hmm. it's very wise to give of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'm going to switch gears for a second. This is something that was fascinating to me. I heard you in another interview and you said that Howard Stern made your career. How's how's that? Well, I love him. I love Howard Stern. And, um, but I didn't know who, who he was or what he looked like. Um, because it was not, he was on the radio and I had, so for the first six months at MTV, 
I would get a six week contract. So I'd work six weeks and then they'd decide if they wanted to re-up. So they weren't really sure, like, you know, every six weeks. So I figured, oh, this is it. I am going to get the boot. And I figured I'll just go out in a blaze of glory. So um, we were at the Grammys. I was with another VJ and there was a hot dog stand in front of uh, Radio City. So I bought like a hundred hot dogs and they were all wrapped in foil. And I just started throwing them around to people <laughs> and out of a big bag. And then when Metallica played, we lit um, uh, lighters. So at the after party, uh, Howard Stern asked me to do an interview. But again, it was really dark and it's at the Rainbow Room. And I started talking to him and he was just funny and I loved him. And uh -huh. then the next day, my agent called and said, what did you do last night? And I was like, whoa, am I in trouble? He's like, no, they, they just got a five-year contract. Oh, and, gosh. Um, my agent, he used to always say, like, I was like, I don't know, man. This is kind of giving me the Jimmy legs, like not knowing if they're going to commit or uh, it's not a boost of confidence when you're doing something new. And he's like, that's why they call it show business and not show fun because it's all business. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. But I know, you know, I still write Howard Stern thank you notes um, uh -huh. uh, because he did really impact my life. And I appreciate that. I think it's important to recognize um, there are many opportunities and I'm uh, and I'm glad I had the confidence to talk to him. And I'm grateful that, uh, cause it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. He's awesome. I love him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we all do. <laughs> well, you know, you could just, he's so smart. And I love that. Uh, I love this new version of him. I love the naughty version. Yeah. I, when my son was a baby, he'd always be like, at some point you're going to have to turn this off because our kid is going to understand. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I, I, I always feel like I, I get a bit of wisdom from him. And, yeah. You know, yeah. and I guess, you know, it's from the most unlikely places we can find inspiration. Mm -hmm. Totally. He's evolved too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, he's he's done therapy for years. I know, and you look like his <laughs> that, you look like his that girlfriend. Too. And what'd you that say? Too. I I do. Um, and, and no, Kim. I think you oh. look, you look like Beth. You know the blonde, oh, yeah, beautiful blonde. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, with the cute her. hat. You've got the same thank shaped you. face. Yeah. Total smoking hot babe. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but you know what? That that I think we've said that on the show before. We've used him as an example because he has been an admitted narcissist. And he says, he says, I go to therapy three to five times a week for my whole life because I know that I need to get better from that continuously. And that is such a great example for guys, you know, that think, no, I don't need to go to therapy. It's like, well, Howard Stern is the guy of all guys and he's going to therapy, you know? Truly. And I really admire the interviews that um, he's been doing that are really, really, he just penetrates and they're original and he asks questions that um, you don't expect. And mm -hmm. I just, I love that. I think he's truly has a craft. And I also think what we are witnessing is a man who is allowing love into his life. 
he the love that he has of his wife and of his children and also of those animals that he rescues there's something uh-huh. really beautiful um i work as a I'm, I'm a trained hospice chaplain and um uh-huh. one of the things that i learned um uh in chaplaincy school uh was um that in grieving pets it's often uh more complicated than grieving a relative because our pets are so intimate. They rely on us to be fed and to be cared for in every way. They often sleep in our beds. They're so reliant on us. Mm-hmm. And so there really is a, a an emptiness when um, you lose a pet and people often feel guilty. But I just say like love is love, you know, like you, there was a lot of love between you and that animal. So mm-hmm. that counts, you know, and, um, but that was a very interesting point. The other interesting thing that I learned in chaplaincy school was that we should be aware of how we say goodbye. Mm-hmm. I say goodbye like my hair is on fire. Like I do the Irish, the French exit. I just leave a party. I don't want to say goodbye to anybody or on the phone. I'll be like, okay, yeah, see ya. And <laughs> the theory was um, that every goodbye is a little death. And that we're just trying to, for me, I'm just like, ah, I don't know, goodbye. You're so avoiding. Just, yes, avoidance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well done. You guys are good at your job. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, at that, I never, you know, because I do that sometimes if we're at like a big event or party, I'm just like, okay, let's just go. Mm-hmm. And then I, I never really thought about why I do that. Now I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> so I know. challenge yourself to do the opposite just to see, you know. I love that. I love challenging myself. Um, I made a challenge this month because August is usually end of summer uh, is a time where people tend to kind of slack off. We enjoy the, you know, I've got peonies the size of a human head right outside my window. I've got donkeys. It's a beautiful summer and I'm being Uh cold. But I just figured, no, every day I'm going to have this little list and I'm going to really hustle um, when everybody else is poolside. So I like taking little challenges, you know, using a dominant hand, all those little things. Oh, my gosh. So you were (laughs) talking about challenges. You were diagnosed with a rare form of the disease sarcoidosis. Am I Mm -hmm. saying it right? Yes. Thank you. Well done. Neurosarcoidosis in 95 and you've lived with chronic pain and so i i was really drawn to that when when i was reading about your books and what you've been through in some of your interviews and how strong you are so can you give us some examples and what what it's been like um thank you and thank you for researching it and pronouncing it so that that thank you very much so sarcoidosis is an orphan disease. Um, There's about maybe 300,000 people who have it. And so what happens is the soft tissue in your body, in whatever organ is affected, becomes granular. So it becomes like sugar. So they're not tumors, but there are these granuloma lesions. So I had one in my uh, uh, spinal column and skull, and it grew so big that it destroyed all these nerves. So while I do have sarcoidosis of the central nervous system, I'm really a pain patient. I live with something, chronic pain, um, which is called um, complex regional pain syndrome. And so 
I didn't think it was possible to live in this level of pain for half my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, but I found ways to kind of negotiate with it. I mean, it's funny when you have an illness, there's a lot of more like metaphors, like I'm going to beat this and then we're going to blast it and then you're going to fight it. And then we're going to, you know, detonate it. And I was, I was just like to my doctors, I'm a lover, not a fighter. So I don't want all these warlike metaphors like about my body, because if I hated this pain, I would hate a huge part of my life. At some point I have to negotiate with it and find a way to live peacefully. And, um, and one of the things that I learned is that chronic pain and happiness can coexist and, um, do what you love and lots of it. So I really try to do that. I also try to be a good friend to myself, treat myself the way I would treat somebody that I really cared about. Um, and often we, women, we put ourselves, we don't, we're not on the forefront of our checklist. And then I had this epiphany that pain is inevitable. We are all going to experience pain whether it's pain or emotional pain, but suffering can be an option. You may, I live in pain, but I am not suffering. I'm not enjoying it, but I am, I am thriving while living with this chronic pain. So I take a lot of medicine in New York. They say you're never more than six feet from a rat. I'm never six feet from my medicine. And, um, I have a cream that I wear and pain patches and I take medicine and, um, on days that I feel great, like I'm so grateful. And on days where I am roped to my sofa, like Gulliver, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity to read, to be quiet, to meditate. And um, I think it's been, I'm grateful. I can't believe that my body has carried me this far, mm. with this amount of what's called a mal- um this um intractable pain so it's 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 tough it's tough but uh stoic philosophy really helped me too and that's Mm. that's part of your book right that's what your book is based on yes okay um so i really when i i've i figured you know after i graduated i just we forget 80% of what we've learned the day before. And so I'm always writing things down and um, because I want to keep it up there in my noodle. So I started reading Stoic philosophy and what really drew me to it um, is a very simple quote from Epictetus, my main man, Stoic philosopher. And he said, if you make beautiful choices, you will make a beautiful life. And it's so simple, Um, but I've really found that having a scaffolding, a philosophical scaffolding helps me think when I don't know what to think. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Profound. I I haven't thought of that before. Do you feel like, like, do you feel like you have some days where you're just like, you feel you can actually say I feel great. Um, or is it more like you've learned to that have that? Thank you. That's a very compassionate question. I love the the word compassion comes from the Latin and it means suffering together. Mm. And um oh, wow. 
So, uh, so one of the things when I'm waiting for my, so I get up early, I take my medicine and it takes a long time for the medicine to get through my system so I can wear clothes. So in this quiet time is when I do a lot of studying. I can't use my hand. My hands are all, they're um, my, I have no feeling in my hands or feet. And then this corner of my body, say from the top of my head through my shoulder. That's why I always have to wear a dress that's off my shoulder. Um, so it's always present, but again, I, uh, it was scary for the first few years because it's just so sharp and so shocking. And the weird thing about pain is that it destroys language. Now you just got to cut your foot when you were hopping on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And when you when you're in pain, you're just like, Ugh! yeah. yeah. Words it, it seems like our language part of our brain just seizes up. And mm-hmm. um and um it's interesting. The word pain comes from the Latin base puona, meaning punishment or penalty. And chronic comes from time. So um, acute pain, so you just cut your foot. So acute comes from the Greek meaning sharp. So usually there is a visible injury. So an, an acute pain lasts from an instant for three weeks, for th- till three months. Any pain going from three months to the rest of your life is called chronic. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of shame attached to chronic pain. And it's often because we don't know how to talk about it. Um, it's invisible. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. when you see people who are look like they're fairly high functioning, it can be like, well, what's going on? Um, so I'm very active in the chronic pain community at US Pain and um, the International uh, Pain Association. And I have my a website called uh, wiseupstoic.com. And mm. I just try and like every day do a little bit of service of people who are in pain and maybe don't have the support system um, that I have. I, um, I did go to therapy um, when I was ready and I realized I was going to be living in pain for the rest of my life, however long that was. And I didn't want to fall into a hole that mm-hmm. I didn't know how to get out of. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a um, psychologist who studies uh, the psychology of illness in women. Mm-hmm. And it was profound. And that was 17 years ago. And I still am relying on the lessons that she taught me about how to navigate living life with a purpose um, even when I'm only up three days a week, you know, I get maybe if I'm lucky, uh-huh. three good days, mm. the other days are good too, but they're a different type of day. Mm-hmm. So do you get tired? Like if you go full force and then the next day you're kind of done, you need to reboot. Yes. It's um, yeah. in the, uh, chronic pain society. There's a, uh, a theme of the idea of, people call themselves like spoonies. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. No. Um, 
where it's essentially a woman was trying to explain to her friend what it's like to live with chronic pain. And so she was at a diner and she grabbed a handful of spoons. Okay, here, taking a shower. We all get a certain amount of energy and this is what we get. So this would be for, you know, one spoon is taking a shower. Another spoon is getting dressed. Now you only have two spoons left in a full day to go. So um, I think I'm grateful that I have found a way to navigate living a, a life that I'm proud of, that I'm happy to live. Um, I'm grateful for this life. Um, and, you know, Marcus Aurelius, another stoic, he said, you know, the obstacle is the way often what impedes us inspires us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Totally. We get yeah. So while I may not get every day, I try and do as much as I can when I'm up and then I team up with great people. So it's a uh, awesome and so inspiring. And I think that, yeah. you know, this is so important and great that we're talking about this because I think so many more people have that than talk about it. You know, they hide it, like you said, and just anything like I know that, you know, I had really severe hormonal stuff and I tried everything to not go on medication. I was like, no, not going. I'm trying every natural thing and every this, that. And finally I had tried tons of things, you know, maybe a hundred and, and I went on medication and it, it is, I'm like you, I have to have it like near me because what happens is it wears off and I start getting the symptoms and you know what? I'm like, you know what? If medication is going to give you quality of life and be on medication, that's how I've, I've shifted. I know, but isn't it funny that we somehow think that uh, we don't need it or like it, I was also, I, I was resistant. Um, and, and I guess, you know, it's good for people to know too, that we didn't figure it out right away. It took uh-huh. lessons and these hard one lessons. Um, but one of the things is I realized that trying to hide my illness was like keeping a beach ball underwater it would still come up and smack me in the face. Uh, And so, and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that some of the medicine, you know, I lost my hair. I grew a mustache. I got a hunchback. Like there's a lot of things that were not so pretty. And I just, I realized like, I'm not going to feel, I'm going to release myself from shame. I will only feel shame if I have been unkind. Other Mm. than that, if, I rip a tugboat fart right now. I will excuse myself, but like, <laughs> I realize, like, like I, but, and I will apologize, but I won't, I won't carry this sense of shame. If uh, I screw up or my hands, which have neuropathy, if I unhook our conversation, I will feel uh, sorry that I, that this happened, but I won't feel shame. And that is a really good deal to make with yourself that you're only allowed to be shamed when you're been unkind and then you're aware and you try and be actually more kind. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's everything you just said. I'm just so inspired by you blown away. (laughs) I mean, with everything that we've talked about thus far and, and, and what we're about to talk about so many other things that you've done. um, I mean, I feel like you are a Jack of all trades and, and you still allow yourself to surrender to whatever pain comes up for you daily. Um, 
but you still keep going and it's such an inspiration for everyone. Um, and, and you're not, you don't choose suffering. Exactly. I, um, we all have a limited amount of time and a finite amount of energy. And I am aware that I have to really, uh, you know, meter it out. And, um, so in order, um, to, uh, get my work done as a writer and as a producer, um, I work, I've teamed up with amazing, um, partners. And, uh, so I don't do it alone. And that is, again, something else that I'd like to share is like yeah. having partners and is such a gift and, uh, you, it doubles your happiness and divides your sorrow by having great partnerships and great friends. And, um, so, uh, that is kind of how I'm able to keep moving is yeah. to be accountable to myself and also understand like when I'm not myself, if I'm, you know, dealing with a pain flare, I have to give myself the grace to yeah. say, I have to tap out and that is acceptable, uh, on all terms. So yeah. I'm yeah. sure it took a lot of, uh, mind training to, uh, accept that part of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and to be able to say, no, I can't do that today. I know Kim, you've experienced that for a few years also where you had to keep canceling and, and yeah, you couldn't participate. You feel like you, um, are being left out or you, you have to excuse yourself. I can imagine how, hard that is on top of the the physical pain so there's there's so much to balance the emotional and the physical and you've done a darn good job yeah <laughs> thank you and um kim i i always felt like i i'm a shower upper if i say i'm gonna show up i will absolutely do everything i can to show up it's mm -hmm. not like oh i don't feel like it but if i have a pain flare, I do feel like, oh, I'm sorry to punk out, but there's no alternative. Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's interesting because I, um, I cannot pass a physical, so I can't be hired to um, do my former jobs. And I had to figure out, I had to mourn for my old life. Mm -hmm. And then figure out a whole new life. Mm. And that is where I found the writing of, and of Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus. You know, Epictetus said, we can't control what happens. We can only control how we respond. And that to me, I was like, oh man, you're like, I get so much out of reading just a few sentences of stoic philosophy i highly mm -hmm. recommend um uh, a book by my friend sharon labelle called the art of living um every page maybe five to ten sentences but it it is boom, it is okay. so enlightening and um it really just is such a profound uh interpretation of somewhat dense philosophy but she writes it in such a joyful way like she's talking to a friend 
mm. which is what I love. Relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's okay, what well, I tried to do in Wise Up. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, let's talk about your book now. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the one the one thing that I also heard was that um, Oprah named your book Wise Up a best best title in 2022 and the post named your book the best title of the month is that mm-hmm. correct okay yeah. well, it's the um yeah it uh it was the yeah the top 10 book of 2022 um, oh. wow so it's not the best title wise up it's just the best they they refer to it. um but it's just um uh oh, yeah i'm very proud of it and there is a tradition in Stoic philosophy where um, the contents or what they were trying to express, they would write in letters. And so mm-hmm. this book was originally written as a collection of essays. And then when you're reading, you know, it's so intimate. You know, books aren't just lifeless lumps of paper. They're lives of mine. They're, they're alive minds. Like It's almost like you're having a conversation. So I kind of felt like, well, if I used the Stoic tradition um, where I made it an epistolary, where it was letters, and I thought, well, if I address these letters to the person I love most in the world, then maybe the reader is going to feel all this love. And Mm -hmm. um, so I asked my teenage son if I could address them to him. And this way I could put in a lot of fart jokes and, you know, <laughs> I wanted to laugh on every page and all these crackpot um, facts just to keep it going. And um, so I wanted to weave in um, the beauty and the simplicity of um, practical Stoic philosophy, but also, you know, keep it entertaining, keep it lively. Um, so it's uh, each chapter is a letter. And it's just meant to be swallowed whole like a clam. Mm. Mm. And I think it also is like a relief for parents because it makes it like, okay, I have permission to not be perfect as a parent as well. You know, so I think we all get, you know, I have to catch myself because I still get mom guilt sometimes about things, you know, and I'll go, okay, this is silly. Why am I having all these silly thoughts come in? You know, cause we're never enough pet guilt. We could get pet guilt. Oh, I didn't walk my dog the last three days. Oh, no, oh yeah. Pet guilt, you know? So, <laughs> so I think that this is also, you know, I love how it says irreverent enlightenment from a mother who's been through it. And there's sections where it does talk about, you know, parenting and not having, you know, not being perfect and messing up sometimes, you know? Well, it's funny because I think, there is a performative side of parenting. It's like, yes, I'm a responsible citizen. (laughs) Actually, my kid, I think, would obviously benefit more from the time I was an absolute jackass. I mean, learn from my mistakes. I am not perfect. Because, again, the idea, you know, it it allows him error for him. Like, and and also, Mm -hmm. we have to learn forgiveness, we have to learn how to forgive ourselves and our partners for um, uh, maybe not being the absolute picture of perfection. And um, I love that uh, uh, Aristotle said, um, it is expected that unexpected things will happen, meaning the problem is we don't expect problems. Mm-hmm. And I do expect problems. And what by expecting them, they don't 
I'm not looking forward to them, but they don't capsize me. Um, yeah. I just kind wow. of roll with it. I'm like, all right, well, things are going to happen. That's gonna yeah. Happen. That's oh, yeah. how we learn, how we develop wisdom. But sometimes throughout the actual challenges, it's not fun. <laughs> and so you learn to reframe it and constantly, you know, like if I'm going through something, I'll go, okay, this is later. I'm going to come out of this so much wiser with so many gifts. So just keep remembering it's not going to stay like this forever, you know? That's so wise, you know, also remember, it's not going to stay like this forever. Like, yes, this is something we are in motion. It's a really good point. Yeah. Or, you know, if you, if you, like you were saying that you, you know, were going to, you went to therapy that it was going to be chronic pain forever, but you found ways to reframe it and look at it different and live with it Mm -hmm. different. So just to change gears a bit. We were talking about evolving and Howard Stern and someone else I feel who's evolved a lot is Jim Carrey. And I've always loved him. And my daughter's biggest muse is Jim Carrey. She's 16. And that's like her dream person to work (laughs) with when she's older or now. Um, But I feel like he's evolved so much. And it's so just intriguing to look at what he writes about and things like that. So I know you were one of the stars of Dumb and Dumber. I love that movie. And it's hilarious. And you were so sexy in that movie. And um, are you still close with Jim? And I know you're, you're working now on a movie with the director of that movie, right? Yes, Peter Farrelly. Well, Jim Carrey is one of a kind. I mean, he is truly, he is a one-man conga line of fun. And um, <laughs> I uh, i got to interview him a couple of years. Just, uh, we, we reconnected and, um, and then we connect on social media. And uh, he is, it's funny, like, he's still the same lovely guy kind of goofy very thoughtful um that he was when i met him 25 years ago mm-hmm. um uh. and uh dumb and dumber was really his first really big big movie and um so i am a so an associate producer of a new movie that's coming out uh september 30th it's called the greatest beer run ever and um my son's babysitter, who was a film major at NYU, um, he was my son's Manny. We were at a party and because my husband travels all the time and Andrew was out. And I said, well, just come with me. And we went to a party and I introduced him to a friend of mine who's a journalist. And uh, Andrew asked the greatest question to a journalist. And that is, what's the greatest story that you never reported on? And she told us the story of Chickie Donahue, how in 1967, uh, he was from Inwood, northern Manhattan, and five of his friends were drafted into Vietnam. And he decided that he was going to go to Vietnam and bring them all a Pabst Blue Ribbon, bring them all a beer. And he did do this and got stuck during the Tet Offensive. So Andrew Moscato um, directed a short doc and I produced it. And uh, my friend Joanna Malloy um, wrote the book. And now it is a huge um, Skydance that does all the Marvel movies um, and Apple production. And it's called wow. The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Um, 
And what I love about it is Andrew, my partner and I decided we're only going to tell good stories. And this is a story about how far you'd go for a friend. Mm. And it's miraculous that Peter Farrelly, who directed Dumb and Dumber and wrote Dumb and Dumber, wrote and directed um, Greatest Beer, uh, Greatest Beer Run Ever. And the trailer just dropped and it broke all types of records and it oh, stars. My gosh. It's amazing. So it's Zac Efron. Wow. Zac, uh, Russell Crowe uh-huh. and an ingenue named Bill Murray. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can't wait. That's so cool. That's wow. such a great thing to be a part of that. And then still be, still be working with him so many years later as well. It's a real gift. We were just together this weekend. We had a screening in uh, Martha's Vineyard. And uh, Pete and Bill made, just made me cry. It was um, so beautiful. And um, it, it's a great story. Yeah, about never leaving a friend behind. And uh I, uh, I'm so proud, uh, to know Chicky, to know the, the men who did serve in Vietnam. And, uh, it was, it, it's been a joy. It's been a long journey. It's been a real, uh, lesson for me about not giving up. Mm. Uh, that that's so needed right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can pretty much get anywhere you want to be if you don't give up. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, congratulations on that. That's, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty special. Um, it's it's know, a premiering at the Toronto Film Festival. Wow. And is it going to, it's coming out in September, you said, right? September 30th in theaters and streaming on Apple. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can check out the trailer later. Yeah. Definitely. When you talked about the trailer, I got, or, and you talked about the story, I got chills. I kept getting the chills. <laughs> it's, it's very amazing. Yeah. Very and special. Because Andrew asked that question. Oh, wow. oh yeah. So it's, it's, it's like fate. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just been amazing. Oh, well, good for you. And can you share with us um, and the audience how to find you? I know you have several books out if you want to share about that as well. What else do you want them to know? Well, thank you. Um, uh, I have a website, uh, wiseupstoic.com uh and uh i wrote a book about chronic pain and that's called backbone and that came out two years ago um but but my new book wise up again an oprah top 10 title Mm. of the year um is available at any bookstore um you can go on my website it'll take you to amazon or go to your local bookstore or go to your library um And, uh, I really, uh, I learned so much in getting all of these ideas out of my head and onto the page, um, that, uh, it's a great joy to, uh, think about writing and write about thinking and then get to go and share these good vibes. And so I'm very grateful. And thank you so much for welcoming me to Talk and Purpose very much. Oh, thank thank you. you. Yeah, you're amazing. And you're just such a bright light and so authentic, Mm -hmm. such a good example. So I just feel like this is going to touch so many different people in so many ways. So thank We're just honored to have you on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And um, I really enjoyed getting to know you through my ear holes. So it's nice to see you in person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Big up. Yeah, thank you. For- 
listening to our show. So and thank everyone for listening and have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Hi, I'm Brad Roth. You know, buying or selling a home is a huge financial decision. And I understand that a real estate agent's most valuable commodity is word of mouth. So here's what some of my clients have to say about me. Brad is super professional. He understands what you want. He does whatever it takes to get the job done. He's like, let's get you what you want. He's a people guy. Yeah, he's, he's great. I trust him 100%. Call, Call Brad. Brad. You'll, You'll be, be glad. glad. Thank you for listening to Talk Purpose and Truth Podcast. Find out more at talkpurposeandtruth.com. And follow us at Talk Purpose Truth on Instagram and Facebook.